0: Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming to the show Rush. Rush, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. Hey, uh, Rush, can you uh, please tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Sure, I'd be glad to.
1: Uh, I pastor a church in Columbus, Ohio. We're a small church plant. We're about six years old, and so we've lived here about seven years. church plant is part of a network of like minded churches called the pillar network from north carolina and uh so we've been here for a while we have a, a, a growing church about 115 folks on sundays and uh i'm married also uh we've been married. my wife and i've been married for uh, 18 years we have five kids from 14 years old down to almost four so our house is pretty busy uh we also homeschool our kids that makes it even busier and more exciting so there's always something going on around here and uh and in addition to ministry in the church we uh, we enjoy lots of other opportunities in our community. Our immediate community is called Bexley. We're a few miles east of downtown Columbus, and uh, we live in a really interesting place. Um, we have uh, about 35% of our neighbors are Jewish, which is great. We love interacting with them and uh, also talking about the Bible. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to plant our church here, so we really love it here, and, and uh, life is is busy and exciting uh, all at the same time.
0: Wow, you definitely uh, stay busy with all the those kids and then homeschooling and yeah i have a few friends that do that and they're always like running around it's like wow <laughs> so um cool uh well uh today we're going to talk about your your new book uh die hard sins how to fight wisely against destructive habits can you uh tell us why you wrote it and how you hope it's received or is being received
1: sure absolutely yeah, i've been really happy with the way it's been received so far uh, the book came out at the end of september and it's uh, my first book uh or at least my first book like this um and uh so far people have expressed the ways that it has encouraged them and helped them I think it's on an important topic I mean, I wrote this book, uh, number one because it was a book that I needed as I spent time examining my life as well as examining my life in the light of other conversations I was having with other Christians, in particular through counseling and discipling relationships I kept hearing this theme coming up over and over again in the lives of others and seeing it in myself and it really is the theme of what I called, of course, by the title of the book, Die Hard Sins. And so when I talk about Die Hard Sins, I'm talking about these uh, habits that are connected with the fact that we are uh, sinners, we have remaining sin even as Christians, and our sin continues to trip us up and cause problems for us, and even when it comes to certain habits in our lives and so as I have thought about these things in my life and walked with other people um, as they have seen them in theirs, it has really been a consistent kind of feeling like this. I've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and I'm still struggling with these same things. I have read the books, I've memorized the verses, I've heard the sermons, I've uh, sat with biblical counselors maybe, and I just keep struggling. Why will this sin not finally die and leave me alone? I just want some relief. And so as I thought about this kind of experience, I thought there could be a book about this. And um, there could be a way that a book like this could help other people to fight wisely against these destructive daily habits to see that they're there first, and then to learn some. Kind of land in order to fight back against them.
0: Yeah, that's very good and definitely very needed.
1: Um, can you define
0: what you mean by diehard sins for us? Sure. So a,
1: a diehard sin, uh, of course, that's not a biblical term. We don't find diehard sin as a category in the Bible, but it's a, a term that I'm using to describe these kinds of sin habits that just they just don't seem to go away. <laughs> we might call them a resistant or resilient. They're nagging uh, at us, and they they just seem to resist everything we try to do against them. Uh, the kinds of things I'm thinking about when I think about my life and, and others that I have <laughs> talked with who struggle struggled this way, uh, I'm thinking of uh, the kinds of things like ongoing pride in my heart that I see all the time and uh, just doesn't seem to go away, or these um, re- returning issues with being impatient with my kids, or having uh, moments where I'm, I'm really tempted and struggling with, with anger toward people who who wrong me, or being a person who struggles at peacemaking. These are all things that I think any Christian who's aware of it wishes it would just go away or that it would just finally die. But I find in my life, and uh, as I continue to understand God's Word, that there are certain struggles that are just not going to go away at all, or they're just not going to go away easily. And we're going to need to continually fight against them and in in a way to become content with that fight and trust God's wisdom since he has seen fit to allow us to continue in this struggle.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's that's really well said, my friend. Um, How does the gospel help Christians address respectable and acceptable sins in their lives?
1: Well, I think that's I think that's an important question. I think that probably is the most important question, uh, and I try to deal with this quite a bit in the book. I really wanted this book to be saturated with the gospel. Now, that's an easy thing to become a buzzword. It seems like everybody's talking about being gospel-centered today, and uh, and I want to be careful about that. Uh, but I think this is important because the more that we understand what God says in His Word, the more that we understand what the gospel is. And I have throughout my life, even before being a Christian and since becoming a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18, have continued to, I would say, I guess, awaken to what the gospel is. And I think there's even more awakening that needs to happen in my heart. I don't think that the gospel is something that any of us corner. I don't think any of us really get the gospel in the sense that we just now we get it and we move on from it. I see in the Bible that the gospel is this good news of Jesus that not only brings us to faith in him, but also continues to sanctify us as we live our lives. So uh, the gospel uh, helps Christians to address these diehard sin habits, I think, in two big ways. Number one, the gospel gives us hope. It gives us real hope for change because it brings to us the good news of what Jesus has done for us and what he offers to us by grace. The gospel is not, and I have confused this many times in my life, and sometimes my heart reverts back to that old way of thinking, that the gospel is another list of to-dos for me, or that the gospel is something that I should be living out. I don't think that the gospel is something that we can live out. It's not a a list of commands or to-dos. It is something that is an announcement of what Jesus has done for us. So I think first it gives us a lot of hope and the gospel also gives us power for change because it's the good news of Jesus that frees us from the curse of the law. It's the good news of Jesus that um, connects us to him as we have faith in what he's in him and what he's done for us so i want the gospel to be a a continual uh, focal point throughout everything that uh that we do in the christian life especially as we fight against sin
0: yeah definitely that's uh really well said as you were as we were talking i'm i was thinking of uh ephesians for just being awoke to to the gospel mm-hmm. more i was thinking of ephesians uh uh f- let's see 3 14 um through 19 we know where Paul prays that uh, Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all that surpasses knowledge mm-hmm. that you may be filled with all the fullness of, of God I mean that's a that's a prayer mm-hmm. that I think you could say reasonably so that Paul is a praying that we would be awoken to exactly the realities of what you're talking about there.
1: Absolutely. I think that's I think that's right on absolutely. And as you as you read that and what you just said it reminded me of a book that actually we are uh, working through in our essentially Sunday school at church uh, at our church is called "Gospel Wakefulness" by Jared Wilson. Yeah, and uh, we really we're really finding this to be a fantastic book, very helpful, and I think it goes right along with what you have said. And it is it brings to us the kind of help that we need to to apply the gospel, live in the light of the gospel as we try to wrestle with these these hard things.
0: I mean, isn't Jared just an amazing writer? I mean, just as a side tangent, I mean that he book is. that book just when I read. That, that book I can't remember I think it was when it came out that book just helped me to see wow this is God's work in my life this is how God is awakening me to the to the gospel really and right. it, for somebody that've been a Christian for you know I've been a Christian since I was five you know that was just like wow like I just had a new understanding and appreciation of the gospel uh yeah in large part because of that book and I, I continue to hear how God continues to use that book and others like yours too so yeah I agree how do uh how do christian put to use the provisions the lord uh, the provisions the lord has given us to use daily <laughs>
1: In, uh, in the book, Die Hard Sins, that is one of the major focal points of the book is on the provisions that come to us through faith in Christ. And in the book, I, I talk about five provisions. Uh, number one, God himself. Number two, the Bible. Number three, the good news, which we just talked about, of the gospel. Number four, the church. And number five, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so uh, when I talk about these provisions, I talk about them as, um, as evidences of God's grace to us and... And in fact, Resources that we should be utilizing in our Christian lives uh, intentionally, and some of those I think are provisions that become so commonplace to us that we don't we sort of lose the the sense that these are resources to be putting to work. Maybe we fall back into the habit that I, I'm prone to of just uh, daily Bible reading is uh, is just the thing that we do as Christians. I should get up in the morning or at some time during the day, open the Bible, read it. I did the, the thing I needed to do, as opposed to seeing, for instance, the Bible or the gospel or the church as a resource that we are to be intentionally applying to our lives. So, um, and this is actually the third part of a three-part plan that is in the book on how we deal with diehard sins. We want to enter with joy into our fight with sin. That's number one. We want to understand our real needs in terms of what's going on in our hearts when we wrestle with these diehard sin Mm -hmm. habits. And then number three, we want to put to use uh, these provisions by bringing Christ to bear upon this fight. So, the question that you ask is how do Christians put to use the provisions the Lord has given us uh, to use daily? A simple answer to that question is this. We must do it with a plan. Encouragement is not enough. It's not enough for us just to think about certain things or have good intentions. We have to have an actual plan. So I've tried to place that in the book. And in fact, in Appendix A, and this is one of one of the things I say repeatedly in these conversations. I hope that anybody that reads this book will not overlook the appendices. That's what I tend to do. I tend to just something back there. It's not that important. There is gold in the appendix of many books. And and appendix A has steps for any reader to follow in terms of putting to use these provisions in uh, in his or her life. So um, there are practical applications both for bearing fruit and for extending our roots into God's grace and the gospel. And so throughout that appendix uh, for each of those provisions, there are some clear things to be practicing and doing as part of a practical plan. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, You you mentioned the appendices, so we're going there uh, in our next few questions. Um, What is the acronym RRPP and how does it help Christians learn to kill sin before it starts?
1: Well, this is a plan for fighting against or resisting temptation that I learned from um, a pastor of mine named Dwayne Milioni, a pastor of Open Door Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, And my time at Open Door and my relationship with Dwayne and others there have been some of the most informative and helpful to me. And this is one tool that I have used personally in my life, which is RRPP is a plan for resisting temptation. I don't know if it's original to Pastor Dwayne, but uh, that's where I found it. And so the RRPP is an acronym that stands for this. Refuse, Replace, Pray, and Praise. And if we expand that a little bit, what we mean is this. When I'm feeling the power of temptation pressing in on me, I want to, number one, I want to refuse that temptation. And I want to do it with my focus on Jesus. I want to to refuse that temptation in Jesus' name. Uh, I want to uh, go to Him with it. I want to uh, as an act of my will and my desire to fight against ongoing sin say no to it and i want to say no to it um not because i have a good plan for my life not because i perceive something better for me but because Jesus has a plan for me and he offers me something better and i want to i want to turn to him in that in that refusal that's number one number two is to replace and it is to replace that temptation with scripture we know that the word of god is living and active it's sharper than any double-edged sword it is able to divide uh, and and do heart surgery on me. So we want to replace that temptation with Scripture. But that means we have to know the Word of God, right? We're going to need to know key passages of Scripture or our fight against sin and temptation so that we can replace it. We say no to it and then we replace it. We set our minds on what God has said is better, right, and true from His Word. And then number three, pray. That's the first P. Specifically, pray the other way. We want to then be interacting with God personally and calling out to Him for help to go the other way. Uh, we want to be Focusing on what is the replacement of this temptation? What should I be seeking instead? Is there something in my heart that I have come to believe that is simply untrue and it's it's putting me at risk of giving myself to this temptation? Or is there some desire that has become rooted in my heart and it's controlling and, and um, it's ruling me, a ruling desire? We want to pray the other way. What beliefs need to be replaced and what desires need to be replaced in our hearts? So that's number three, pray. And then praise, of course. We want to give God the glory for every victory over sin and temptation because ultimately it has been brought to us by him through his grace and uh so the last p is to praise jesus for this victory praise him for these resources that he's given to us and then to continue walking with him in that fight so it's refuse replace pray praise
0: and that's that's a good summary of just the christian life right there and applying Mm -hmm. it to our lives Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, how does the acronym pair help Christians to plant the truth of God's word deep into their hearts and lives?
1: Yes, that's a great question about uh, the what I've called the Pair method. And again, that's coming up again in, in the, another appendix. So in a, in appendix C, I uh, talk some about the Pair method. Also, while while folks are reading through the book, there will be some pointers along the way to make sure they don't overlook that appendix. Uh, it'll it'll point forward and say for more about the. This look in appendix c but uh when i wrote this uh this book i again wanted to be intentional about providing practical plans that we can put in place i have been given so many practical plans that have been so helpful to me one that comes to mind immediately is uh, is is one that, that i learned from reading and listening to john piper and it's an acronym that he uses in his life and i found it useful in mine which is aptat i don't know if you've heard this before a p t a Yeah, Um, but he uses this acronym as practical steps to walk in God's power. Uh, Whenever you open your Bible, whenever you face uh, any challenge as a Christian, and uh, I actually utilize this every Sunday before I preach, Hmm. and his is simply this. It is to admit that you can do nothing without God, pray for help, trust a specific promise, act on what God has told us and what he's enabled us to do, and then thank God for his provision and goodness. So that's been a a practical plan that's been very helpful to me. And knowing how helpful these plans can be, I wanted to make sure that there were clear plans in this book. And so that's what the PEAR method is. It has to do with having a a memorable plan of what I can do with the Word of God as I am seeking after truth in the fight against my diehard sin habits. So PEAR, that's easy to remember because it reminds us of a fruit. We want to be fruitful in our walk with Christ. And those letters are P-E-A-R. So number Number one, I've encouraged readers to pray for truth, to go directly to God and make sure that we are staying close to God in this vertical relationship. Often we get caught up in the horizontal of life and we neglect this this vertical dimension. And I want us to stay focused on that. I need to stay focused uh, in that way. And so if I want to know the truth, I need to go to God. I want to ask him. I want to pray to him. Please lead me into the truth, just as you have promised. Help me to understand what I'm reading in your word. Help me to know what truth you have given to us in Christ that applies right now to what I'm going through. Number two, or E, is to explore truth. So according to the grace that God gives us in the truth, we must then explore it. It it needs to be something that we're willing to to get out our, our spades and shovels and dig. Dig for the truth. Like it's silver and gold, it's worth far more than that. But to explore the truth and when I say this, I'm thinking about the importance of really studying the Bible. Not just reading the words, not just having some Proverbs on our minds or. some kind of what can become a platitude but i'm thinking of really exploring the truth what does god mean here what is god up to here uh how can i change here that kind of thing and then a p e a is act on the truth and again this is uh, reminds me again of that helpful tool that i learned from piper and it's again that same uh that same concept of acting um we are given these resources we are given truth god is helping us in christ to fight against sin and we've got to act on it. Uh, it's not enough just for a soak in it listen to it read it we need to really act on on the truth and then finally of course to rejoice in the truth find our joy in the resources that god has given to us find our joy in knowing in knowing christ and fighting with him in a joyful fight against sin
0: yeah that's really good um when uh, when somebody says oh well I'm, I'm reading my bible that's that's great you know i always want to encourage somebody to do that but then i want to encourage them to study the bible and and i always try to tell them uh one thing i always try to tell them about why you should Study the Bible. It's because there's going to be like various things, you know, when you read it. Uh, like you know, when Jesus is put up on the cross and he's given that uh inscription. What is that? Well, it's a it's a titulus. You know, it he was written uh it was an inscription that was what they put up uh, above Jesus. Now you wouldn't know that, for example, if you just read the text, right? So you have this is one reason why you would have to study the study the text so that you can get some of this this background and the the meaning. And and so I just like to use that kind of simple thing to say, yeah, if you, you know, you can read your Bible and that's great, but when you study it, you're going to get, you're going to start understanding more of what these things that are happening in the background and the culture of the, of the passage, what they, what they mean. And so what you said was also excellent. I just wanted to add that.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think that's right on. And it, as you were saying that, it just reminded me that I'm thankful that the Bible is written for ordinary people like me, that uh, anybody can take the Bible. Now, there are certain parts of the Bible, of course, the book of Revelation, (laughs) other places that are more difficult. But by and large, the Bible is written in straightforward language that any person can open, read, examine, dig into and get a lot uh, out of to strengthen them in their in their faith and their walk with Jesus. Amen. What role should the local church play in helping Christians grow in grace? Mm, I think this is an important question too. You're asking a lot of great ones and it hits on, again, one of those provisions because I included in the five provisions at, toward the end of the book uh, the church. And I think this is one that's often overlooked. It's easy to, to neglect the role of the local church in fighting against sin uh, because <clears throat> we can think of our sin struggles as being personal, and they are personal. They are uh, true to us, and we need to fight them as individuals seeking to follow Jesus. But sometimes that sense of my sin habits and my struggles being personal lead me to think that they should be private, and uh, there's a big difference between something being personal and private. Um, uh, I think that as we read about um, the church in scripture, we find that change, the lives that Christians are to live, uh, are to be lived in fellowship and community. And that involves even being honest about our personal struggles and that we are to be in that way, brothers and sisters. And uh I think it's also easy to overlook this because there can be in in churches, if we're not careful, there can become this culture of privacy or this culture of just mere friendship where we just don't, we're not really interested in knowing all of the details of life. And I don't think we need to completely, uh, you know, open and, and empty our closets of everything, you know, just um with each other, but there is a growing trust that needs to be developed among Christians where we can be honest with each other about these struggles. Sometimes I've found in my life and in the lives of others that if we're not being um, somewhat transparent with each other and walking with each other, some Christians will begin to feel like, I'm the only person that deals with this. I'm the only messed up uh, sinner here, and nobody else is going through this, and it's just not true. We end up having a whole group of people that all kind of sit at home thinking that they're going through something alone, and they're all going through the same thing separately so i think that change growth, fighting sin is a community project. I'm reminded of in Hebrews where it says, encourage one another day by day, lest you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a great picture of Christians encouraging each other every day with an awareness that sin is deceitful and that we need to be careful and watching out for each other. So I want the church to be one of those main provisions that Christians will use in this fight against diehard sins.
0: That is so, so good. How can Pastors and biblical counselors help equip people in their local churches to address respectable and acceptable sins in their lives.
1: Well, That's a great question because I really do see that this is an important issue for the local church. And these conversations and this process of change should be centered in the local church uh, among pastors and counselors with Christians caring for each other. So I think one big way is for pastors to be faithful, to preach on Uh, these important issues of life in honest and transparent ways. Uh, Sometimes uh, preaching can become somewhat moralistic, especially when it comes to applying passages of Scripture or what we look to gain from Scriptures that are preached. And so I think the more that sermons can be counseling-minded, meaning that they are looking to the text of Scripture to provide real counsel, help, hope, insight, uh, encouragement, and uh, and instruction for fighting against our continuing, you know, our ongoing sin is really key. So I think uh, the more that we can grow, as, is, as a pastor myself, I know there's lots of room for me to grow, the more that we can grow to um, think about our preaching in truly pastoral ways, uh, the better. And then I also think, secondly, the more that pastors and counselors, other leaders in the church, and just e- even just the general congregation. Can learn to talk openly uh, about our remaining sin and to do it as I say in the book. To do it with joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, that will help us a lot. There's, I know, I know it's 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 natural in every church that people want to put their best foot forward. They often don't want to be honest about the ways that they're struggling. And the real detriment of that is it tends to lead other people to think that they're the only people who are struggling. And that's not true. Everybody everybody is in need of, of biblical counsel. Everybody is in need of help and change. So I think the more that that can happen, and that's another way that it hits against, uh, or or, um, it uh, involves pastors in in the way that they think about their ministry, is I I think pastors should be transparent as well. Um, I I think I read somewhere um, that uh, John Calvin, in all of his preaching, one of the qualities that stood out was that he never used the word you, but he always used the word we, and he included himself in the things that— that he was preaching on. And so I think that's, that's important too. And then a third way is, is I think to create space for people to ask questions and to receive counsel and training about these, uh, about these important topics and, and these issues that are going on in our lives, creating opportunities, welcoming uh, Christians to talk together about what's going on in their lives, to practically apply the Bible while being Somewhat transparent. I don't think that we should be a thousand percent transparent all the time. There's certain settings for certain things to be discussed. It can be unloving to other people to be too transparent in certain contexts or groups or or types of meetings. But I think having a variety of those types of places where people can be transparent about what's going on is really is really key. And also providing uh, open you know training for others to learn about. Counseling, which you know we we know to be intensive discipleship, so every every person in every church should be learning how to care for the souls of, of those around them. So I think there's a couple of ways that that um, the pastors and counselors in particular can be. Thinking about
0: this that's really good um, two, two questions uh, one related to pastors and one related to lay people um, okay. you know there's some debate on uh, for the first question for pastors uh, there's some debate you know about preaching and openness and all that you know transparency in the pulpit what, what are your thoughts on that
1: uh, I think that pastors should be generally transparent um, in their in their preaching again there are certain ways that I think a pastor could be overly transparent and it could be unloving to those who are hearing because it may place in their minds certain things that, that they uh that, that may cause additional temptation to them or uh you know there are often children present in in uh on sunday morning during the sermon so uh, i don't think the pastors should completely unload uh all of their problems or be um, you know um uh too graphic about the ways that they struggle but Uh, there should be no doubt in the minds of their people that they – are sinners; that they need God's grace, just like everyone else, and that they are fighting and needing help in the fight against sin.
0: How open for lay people now? How open and transparent should uh, lay people, church members, be with each with each other with other church members? Are there any cautions that you have? Any pieces of advice as they begin to do this?
1: Yeah. Again, I think my biggest piece of advice that you know I hope that people in my church will practice. we, we certainly talk about it is we want to have everything that we do in our church um, controlled by uh, the rule of love. We want to be thinking about what is going to be most loving to those around us. So, for instance, in our church, we have community groups that meet during the week in homes, and our purpose there is for added fellowship, small group kind of fellowship, and discussion of the previous sermons, uh, scripture text, And how we can apply that to our lives. And often there is, and we encourage uh, honest interaction about the ways that people are struggling or ways that we can pray. Um, And so um, we encourage that while also recognizing that that may not be the setting for the same kind of transparency that may happen one-on-one with a pastor or biblical counselor or an even closer friend. Uh, and so, again, we, we, we hope that um, everyone would consider what's going to be best for that for that context, for that meeting, so that everybody is welcome to be a part, uh, you know, in simple things. Um, you know, we don't want to dominate the conversation um, or, uh, or present an awkward, you know, sometimes we have that awkward moment where people don't know how to respond um, because somebody has shared something shocking. Sometimes that's appropriate sometimes it's not so i i do think that there's there's case wisdom that's necessary for us to to make that decision about how transparent we should be in different contexts however and while that's an important question i think on the other side there's something else for us to really consider it, and it is that when we ask how how transparent should people be it presupposes something that is not necessarily true and it presupposes that everyone is being too transparent and we need to rein them back in when in reality the tendency is that people are not being transparent they're more content to talk about the surface issues of life and it takes time and trust in order to get down into their willingness to talk about remaining sin temptations and those kinds of things so while that's an important question about transparency i think the other question we need to be asking is how are we going to help people become more transparent, give them opportunities and give them a place where they can freely talk about this. So often people get driven underground because they get the sense that I really shouldn't be talking about my problems. I should not be acknowledging these issues in my life because it means I'm not a very strong Christian or I'm not like everybody else. And we want to bring people up from underground so that they can talk about these things, and do it with hope, because there's there's lots of hope for us together to encourage one another day by day as we, as we fight against sin. So,
0: Rush, this has been a really insightful and helpful conversation i i appreciate it so much thank you um as we wrap up this conversation today and as
1: listeners go ahead and pick up your book, do you have any
0: takeaways
1: uh, for our listeners? So, if there are a couple of takeaways from our discussion about this book, Die Hard Sins, I would want people to take away two big things. Of course, there are many things I could say. Two big things are number one, I want readers of the book to come away with a better sense of the hope that they have by faith in Jesus that things can change. They may not change as quickly as we like, they may not change when or how we like but that there is hope that the jesus is sufficient his word is sufficient he is up to the task he is committed to us by his promises and that there is hope for change and that we can with that hope with joy face these ugly parts of life we don't have to flee from them hide them throw them away we can face them and deal with them uh, with the expectation that he's with us he's going to help us and uh, and then number two i would want everybody to take away that in addition to hope and encouragement we also need Need a practical plan in order to fight against sin in wise ways, these destructive daily habits. Encouragement is wonderful, but encouragement is not enough. We need a plan that's gonna help us walk through life with intentionality and to address these issues with intentionality. That's why in the book I try to provide lots of different practical resources, especially in the pen- in the appendices of tools and interactive questions that readers can ask and answer to work together at really up. Uh, entering into their struggle with sin uh, with joy, understanding what's going on and what their need is, and then how they can bring Christ and his answers to bear bear upon that. So that's, those are the two big things I'd, I'd hope that people would take away from the book. If, if nothing else, those two big points.
0: Oh, well, Rush, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today and for your excellent biblical and pastoral answers. You've given us all much to think about and to reflect on in the days ahead. So thank you so much, brother.
1: Okay. Thanks very much, Dave, for having me on the podcast. It's really been great and I appreciate all your time. uh, And I hope maybe we can do something like this again another time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you
0: were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.